Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. We are often asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? But people are asking, what do you want to do? And when it comes to work, there are two things that characterize Christian work. The source, root of our work, and the direction and goal of our labors. You're listening to Whatever You Do by Reverend Peter Yonker. Our Bible reading tonight is Colossians 3, Paul's letter to the Colossians chapter 3, and I'll be reading verses 22 to 24. Um, Tonight's sermon will be a little bit topical. I'll be reading a lot of scripture, going to pointing to a lot of scripture, but this is maybe the central passage that anchors my thinking about our thinking about work. Listen. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. This is the word of the Lord. So when I was a boy, and I think the age I'm thinking of would be about 11 or 12 or so, when I was a boy about 11 or 12, I remember that adults would often ask me a question. Many adults would come up to me, to me and ask me this same question. And the question was, so what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? I imagine that when you were a child of 11 or 12, people came up to you and asked you, so what do you want to be when you grow up? And I think, although I'm not sure that if you are a young person right now, still today, adults will come up to you and ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? I remember not liking that question. I didn't like that question because I had no idea what I wanted to be, and I felt like I had to make up an answer. And there was something off about the question, and I thought, a little later, probably not when I was 11, but a little later I thought, what if for fun when someone asked you that question, you answered it this way. You said, when I grow up, I want to be a good person. When I grow up, I want to be a well-adjusted adult. When I grow up, I want to be reverent, obedient, compassionate, consecrated, trustworthy, pure, grateful, loyal, industrious, and cheerful. <laughs> Which is, for those of you who know, was the cadet motto, right? It's from cadet clubs of our youth. Now, if you answered that way, people would, of course, not appreciate it. They would think that you were being smart. Because we all know that when that question is asked of us when we're 11 or 12, they're not asking about what kind of character we're going to become. They want to know about the job that you're interested in, what sort of profession you might have. But notice, that's not what they ask. The question is, isn't what are you going to do, what kind of job are you going to have, is what do you want to be? Almost like the job that you have is going to define you. There's an assumption in that question. For our culture, a job isn't just something you do. A job goes to the heart of your identity. It goes to the heart of who you are. What do you want to be when you grow up? And they expect an answer about a job. You hear a whisper of the same thing when 
two people in our culture meet each other and try to get to know each other. And I'm afraid this is particularly true among men. I don't like to gender it, but I think I'm generally true about this. And when two men meet each other and want to get to know each other, almost the first question they will ask is, so what do you do? Like that's the key to finding out who a person is, to unlocking their being. Just as an aside, this is very different than a lot of other cultures. In a lot of other cultures, like in African cultures, that's not the first question at all to identify who a person is. If you go to an African culture, they will ask, who are your people? Who is your mother? Who is your father? What is your family? That's how they understand being. But in our culture, work is really, really important. So tonight, I thought I would reflect a little bit on work. And if there is anything distinctive about the way we Christians approach our work, our day-to-day vocation from the Lord. And I think there is something distinctive about Christian work. I think there are two things. I want to categorize what's different in two ways. We have a different source, different root for where we think our work comes from, and we have a different direction, a different goal for our work, a different source, root, and a different goal. What are the roots of our work as Christians? Our work is rooted in God. When we engage in work, in creative endeavor, we are exercising part of our image of God. We like to work because it is part of our image of God. We like to work because our God likes to work. We like to work and create and do because our God likes to work and create and do. It shows from the very beginning. In Genesis 1, the creation story, God looks for all the world like a creator, a worker in his workshop who works all day long and when the day's work is done, steps back from the work of his hands and says, it's good. And he works for six days and he takes the seventh day off. God in Genesis 1 is is pictured like an artisan building something and taking pride in the good work of his hands. And it's not just Genesis 1. All through Scripture, you see images and pictures of God doing the kind of work that we humans like to do. Psalm 102, God the cement contractor. God lays the foundations of the earth. Psalm 104, God the roofer. He forms the upper beams of the heavens. God the landscaper in Genesis 1 forming the landscape and bringing forth the trees and the plants. Psalm 65, God is a farmer, covering the hills with flocks and the fields with grain. Psalm 131, God is a nurturer, a caregiver. He's compared to a mother comforting a child on his knee. Psalm 61, he's a protector, protecting people under his wings. Psalm 18, he's a warrior, riding the wings of the wind, making thunderbolts his arrows, and breaking down his enemies. Psalm 23, he's a shepherd, steering, discipling, guiding his sheep. Psalm 96, he's a judge, judging the people with equity. And I could go on and on. Just about any work that any human being you know 
that they like to do, any work that we human beings like to do, God did it first. Our work is rooted in him. And that pushes a little bit against somehow, sometimes the way we like to think about God. Sometimes I think when we picture God, we like to think of him as a manager. And we're all here on earth working in the factory, and God is like a factory manager, an old school factory manager, where there was some office high above the factory floor, and the manager was in his nice suit with his wingtips on, and he would sort of stare imperiously down at the factory floor to make sure that everything was going the way it should go. Sometimes we have that sort of default picture as God is the watcher making sure we're doing everything okay down here. But that is not our God as pictured in Scripture. The Bible, as we've seen tonight, is constantly celebrating the works of his hands. Our God rolls up his sleeves and gets his hands dirty. The God of Scripture has calluses on his hands and he even has nail holes because of the works that he does. Thinking about this, I think it's a wonderful touch that when the Lord finally chose to send his son to this earth, where did he send him? He made him the son of a carpenter and gave him a hands-on vocation. And I don't know if it's God's sense of humor or if it's God trying to communicate something to us, but I think it's wonderful to think that the Lord who laid the foundations of the earth also laid a few foundations in Nazareth. And the Lord who arched the beams of the heavens, also put a few roofs up in the town. To me, that shows the dignity of hands-on simple work. All work, even the work that our society thinks of as most common, can image our God and give glory to him. Custodial work, for example, caretaking, not the most exalted profession in our way of ranking things, but it images God profoundly. Taking a building, caring for it, making sure everything is ready, making sure it's hospitable for people, making sure that things can happen on time, that everything can function, watching over to make sure everything is working. This images God's providential care of this world, sending seasons and rain and making sure that we human beings can live. Carl Seerfeld, I don't know if you know that name, Carl Seerfeld, he was an aesthetics professor, taught at the Institute for Christian Studies, published lots of work, good Christian reform guy. He has a piece where he writes about his dad's work and how he felt like his father's work glorified the Lord. And his dad didn't do something sort of conventionally important. He wasn't a, you know, a lawyer, a doctor. He was a fishmonger. He sold fish in Long Island, New York. And this is what Seerfeld writes about his dad's work. When I watched my dad's big, beefy hands with broad, stubby fingers, each twice the thickness of my own, when I watched those hands delicately split the back of a mackerel, or with a swift, true stroke, fillet a flounder close to the bone, when I know that those hands dressed and peddled fish from the back of a bicycle in the 1930s, 
when I know that those hands cut and sold fish year after year through sickness and weariness and winter cold, without vacation and without complaint, when I see those hands year after year cutting up fish before the face of the Lord, I know that God's grace can come down to a man's hand in the flash of a scabby fish knife. Searfold's father, plying his simple trade in Long Island, New York, was imaging his God and giving him glory as surely as any sermon. I love that phrase that Searfold used, uh, cutting up fish before the face of the Lord. And that starts to point us in the right direction for the second part of what we think about Christian work, the direction, what's unique about the purpose of Christian work. Christian work is for the Lord. It is the Lord Christ that we are serving. Listen to what Paul says about the goal of our work. And Paul's talking to slaves. He's talking to the lowest of all workers. But he's not just talking to slaves. These words from Colossians definitely apply to all of us in the work that we do. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for people since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving every single day. I used to have this on a three-by-five card by my desk when I started out in ministry just to keep me on the right track. I don't have it anymore. I don't know why. Because it's a great verse to guide all of us, no matter what you do. If you're a student or retiree, or someone who works 40, 60 hours a week, or if you're a person who's stay-at-home mom, or whatever it is that you do, do it with all your heart. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. We work for the Lord, not for recognition. In that sense, we're the opposite of Mike Mulligan and the Steam Shovel. Do you remember that children's book, Mike Mulligan and the Steam Shovel? Tell me that some of you do. Some of you are smiling. Right? Mike Mulligan and the steam shovel, he was, he was a, a guy who operated a big backhoe and, and he was digging, a, uh, I think it was a library and digging the foundation and people would come to watch and what the book said, the kids book said, is that every time someone would come to watch, he would work a little faster and a little better, a little faster and a little better. So the eyes of people made him work better. Paul is recommending the opposite of that. For me, that means... Because I'm working for the Lord, not for people. It means that my visit to a shut-in with dementia that nobody sees is equally important as the sermon that I preach before hundreds of people. For a waiter or a waitress, that means the service that you give to the old couple in common clothes who are taking one dinner and splitting it in two and only ordering water with their meal is just as important as the service you give to that big table where everybody is ordering at least two drinks each. Someone once said that character is shown by what you do when no one is watching. And Paul is saying something close to that. Only he's saying something, but he is watching. It's the Lord. We work for the Lord and not for money. Now, money is important. 
In this world, you need money to pay bills. Money is not nothing, but we're not working for money. We're working for the kingdom. We're working for shalom. We're working to build something here. And what does that end up looking like on the ground? That means for a salesperson, your sale is not the bottom line. So if you're a real estate agent, maybe your client is all excited about one house that is really just above what they can actually afford, and you don't think it's such a great deal. So maybe you point them towards a house that is $50,000 cheaper, but clearly a better value for their money, even though you will pay for that in your commission. Because you're not in it for the money, it's the Lord Christ you're serving. It means for the good accountant, when you're doing a client's taxes and you realize that their financial world is a hot mess, you don't just do the taxes, get paid, and send them on their way with a head shake. You maybe take a little extra time and say, you know, maybe you could try a few things here. And even though you spend more time with them than a client who has everything together, and even though you get less per hour for your work, you don't care because it's the Lord Christ you are serving. It may make your bottom line a little smaller, but it makes God's glory bigger. We do not work for money. We do not work for public reputation. We work for God and his kingdom and his shalom. And people who work this way, they are missionaries. They are lights. They glorify God. So, what do you do? What's the best answer a Christian can give to that question that I brought up at the beginning of the service? Probably something like this. I'm a servant of the Lord. I'm a peacemaker. I'm building his kingdom. Of course, if we actually answered the question that way, people would look at us funny like we were trying to prove how pious we were. So maybe tell them what they want to hear. Say, I'm a preacher. I'm a nurse. I'm a plumber. Maybe follow it up with, and I'm working for my Lord. Amen. Lord, we thank you for the joy of work. We thank you for creativity and energy. We thank you for things that we can do that, that engage our mind and our hands and every part of us and that bring glory to you. Lord, I pray that um, in a world that sometimes pushes us towards other motives, we may keep our eyes focused on you and your kingdom. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.